Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. We've been looking through the book of Job, looking at Job's life and his friends and their view of God. Right? And we've said all along that his friends have had a one-dimensional view of God, a God of right and wrong, a God who elevates the righteous and condemns and punishes the wicked. And this one-dimensional view was right for the time. I mean, this was a time before the priests, before the Levitical law, before personal sacrifice, and before sacrifice of, as a, I'm sorry, before the sacrifice of our Savior. They had no concept of the power that was to come in 2,000 years, of God himself coming to walk amongst humanity, God coming to sacrifice himself to redeem us back to him and send the spirit to live inside of us to help, help us battle the seen and the unseen. So today we begin a reflection on Jesus' final week. You know, today we're going to see Jesus entering, Jesus entering Jerusalem as a humble king, celebrated by some and hated by others. And today we're going to see prophecy fulfilled as, Savior, as our Savior prepares for the greatest sacrifice the world will ever know. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we're about to study this morning, we are discussing his final week, um, his, uh, his entry into Jerusalem, what he was preparing to do. We cannot imagine the personal struggle that he was going through. But Father, we thank you for it nonetheless. Father, so we pray for our time together, Father. We pray that the words that are presented to us in the gospel minister to our hearts this day, and we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was so crucial in his ministry that it is mentioned in all four gospels, and today we're going to look at the accounts in all four of them. And you see, Jesus' journey just wasn't about his immediate circumstance, right? It wasn't about, you know, the earthly impact. It was about the impact that it would have for all eternity, Jesus' battle wasn't in the earthly realm, it was in the spiritual realm, right? Because he wanted to redeem, he wanted to give us the opportunity to be redeemed back to the Father. And Jesus' functioning on this earth wasn't about human approval or human uh, cooperation, it was about doing his Father's will and the fulfillment of his plan for, uh, for eternity. So as we look at the events that happened on that day in Jerusalem, Scripture provides us with several symbols to help us remember. Now, these aren't symbols in the sense of something that's figurative. These were actual things that were actually present there um, at Jesus' entry, and they help us just um, keep us focused a bit on what Jesus had accomplished. All right. So what Jesus was about to embark on is beyond all human understanding. Right? We have, really have no concept of the sacrifice that Jesus was making. But really, today, I just want us to come alive to his life and what he committed to uh, in his ministry. So let's, let's dig in today. All right. So today, we're going to start out by looking at Matthew's gospel. So the entry into Jerusalem begins in Matthew chapter 21 and verses 1 to 7. So as we read here, we see, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, he's talking about his disciples, and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, 
and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to your daughter, O Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them, I'm sorry, and put on, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So we see from this, um, this account that the donkey and her colt are mentioned several times, and also we see that this is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But I just want to take a moment to explain the difference between a donkey and a colt and a foal, because some of these may be unfamiliar words. So the animal is a donkey, the foal is the child, the colt is the male child. So here we have a donkey, the mom, and her son, the colt. I mean, they're not mother and son, that's people terms, but you know, we have a donkey and her colt there. <clears throat> but before we go on, I want to take a sidestep here and briefly discuss the other accounts in Zechariah's prophecy. Sometimes Bible detractors like to use this, what appears as a contradiction in the four Gospels to, to um, say that Scripture is not true. There's this contradiction here. But really, there isn't a contradiction at all. So the accounts are slightly different. Matthew mentions two. He mentions the donkey and the colt. Right? And in the other Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John only mention one. Right? But this doesn't mean that the mother wasn't there. <clears throat> Matthew mentions Jesus riding on both. Now, he wasn't actually riding on both with the two animals close together and kind of laying across them. Now, but the other accounts say that he was riding on the colt. So Jesus was on the colt, and I see the donkey sort of carrying his stuff coming along with them. Now, it would sort of be like if you were sharing coffee with a couple during fellowship time and you went home and said, hey, I had this great conversation and Sally said, that doesn't mean that her husband wasn't there. That just means that he, either he didn't say anything or what he shared really wasn't all that important. Um, not, but, <clears throat> but just because it, it, it's not there doesn't mean it didn't happen because you can look at the gospel from different directions. And I, I had heard... Actually, I read on Friday, someone described this account as basically a movie where the Gospels are different camera angles. The whole picture is there when we look at all four Gospels, but just because one Gospel mentions one thing and one Gospel mentions something in a bit of a different light doesn't mean that they contradict. So basically, to pull it in here, um, basically what we have is Jesus riding in on the colt. And Matthew, uh, John also quotes Zachariah's prophecy, but he does it in, a, in an abbreviated form. So with Matthew doing it, Matthew is drawing more detail and more attention to Zechariah's prophecy. And when John does it, John mentions it in its short, short form and then moves on to other events that John wanted to share. So basically, so let's look at this animal for a second. Here, this is the donkey and her colt. What, what do you think when you see this? I mean, I think of an animal that makes a funny sound. Maybe if you uh, go to a petting zoo, maybe they smell a little bit. I thought it was stubborn, but then um, Andrew told me, no, that's actually a mule. Um, so I've never actually tried to move a donkey. Maybe they're stubborn. But it makes me wonder, why did Jesus choose a donkey? I mean, were like all the horses and the camels taken from the Rena Center as he was coming in, and he was kind of stuck with a donkey? I mean, it'd be kind of like going to you know, the car rental counter at the airport. You're expecting a full size, and you have this little tiny compact. You know? But what really might seem like a plan B to a practical solution uh, was actually a specific fulfillment of God's promise. But I, I want to make sure we look at this fulfillment the right way. 
Because sometimes, you know, when you read the gospel, it can sound like, you know, Jesus chose the donkey just to validate Zachariah. to said, okay, what Zachariah said, here's it, I'm going to check the box. Almost as if, you know, he needed to make Zachariah a legitimate prophet. That's not the case at all. Zechariah was already a legitimate prophet, right, because the, um, the Jews had their, their collection of Scripture. But what Jesus did was a fulfillment of what God already knew. How amazing is that? I, I just, how God's, God's um, all knowledge is just continues to be fulfilled and unraveling in the ministry of Jesus. And also, you know, if we compare the donkey to what the Romans around them rode on, I mean, Romans rode on horses. They conveyed power and strength and authority. And in the modern military, they have a term for that. It's called force projection. You put your force right in their face so no one will combat you. But here comes their king on a donkey. I mean, how humble was that? And see, <clears throat> God already told Zechariah, here comes your king, humble, mounted, on a donkey, on a colt. See, yes, the, the, the donkey represents the humility of Jesus, Jesus, but the ironic twist in the story is that by Jesus coming on the donkey, he was telling the Jews, here comes your king. But he wasn't what they wanted. Right? Have you ever eaten a meal that was good for you, but you really just wanted a double cheeseburger with bacon instead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, Andrew, you try to have a light dinner, maybe, you know, a bit of salad, a little bit of pasta, when really I just want an extra large deep dish with stuffed crust and double works, you know. Um, but, you know, sometimes after we eat that healthy salad, I'm hungry in an hour and I wash it down with a double scoop of chocolate chip mint, extra fudge sauce, whipped cream, you know, and the cherry. Can't forget the cherry. So what was presented as good for me, right, wasn't good, eno wasn't good enough for me. And this is a similar situation to the Jews, what God had declared as good for them wasn't good enough for them. So let's turn to Mark's account. So here in Mark chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, so we're going to pick up where Jesus is coming in. And it says, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the field. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You see, this story, this account here in Mark, gives us, um, gives us insight in what those around Jesus were expecting. Right? They, laid the, they laid their cloaks in front of them. It gives me the image of 1930s chivalry where there was a puddle in front and the man would lay his suit coat down so the lady didn't step, have to get her feet wet. Um, how long we've come from there. Um, but no, the cloaks really traditionally showed us, um, gave an image of loyalty, showed a sense of respect. And the palms were a traditional symbol of victory. So they're laying their palms down at the feet of their conquering king. You know, they could almost taste the sweet goodness of freedom. Finally, their Messiah, their king, that would conquer the Romans, release them from the oppression, was here for them. No, that's not how Christ came, right? The crowd would soon discover that the king that they were expecting was not a political king or a military king, but a spiritual one. And for the most part, most of them actually didn't even get that far. Through Jesus' life and ministry, he went above and beyond what anyone could ever have managed for anyone um, for God. He was, not a spiritual king. I mean, he was a spiritual king and not an earthly one, but his victory was not the victory that the Jews wanted. His ultimate victory was over sin and death and our eternal separation from God. But the Jews really had a history of making this sort of mistake. 
of wanting what they wanted and not really realizing what God had in store for them. Think back to the Exodus. How many times did they tell Moses they preferred their enslavement rather than, rather than being a little uncomfortable with the goodness that God had showered on them? Right? They wanted what they wanted. It's the same thing here. Jew, Jesus was offering release from the enslavement of sin, but Jews preferred the temporary release from the Romans rather than the permanent release from the bondage of sin. See, Jesus' victory would restore all of creation and make a way for every person to have a right relationship with God. He would throw off and defeat the oppression of their souls. So let's get back to the entry here. I think that the people that are here um, observing Jesus' entry, celebrating Jesus' entry, watching his entry, can be divided into three groups. First, you have those that were his supporters, those that followed Jesus. Um, those, and you had the group that really weren't sure what to do with him, um, that some that wanted him arrested. Um, think of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are mentioned in Luke and John's account. And there were many that didn't approve of what Jesus was doing, right, as they were threatened by Jesus' popularity. I mean, that's like the worst thing you could ever do to a current leader is threaten their popularity. Um, and these are the individuals that led the events that we're going to commemorate on Friday. And then there was the group of those that were expecting him to conquer the Romans. And I, actually, I think this is the largest group of individuals were there. They were thinking that this was their conquering king. And we can see of how they treated him by laying their cloaks and their palms in front of them. And they had no concept of what Jesus, they had no concept of what was happening. And I think because they were only focused on what Jesus could do for them. But none of them understood the magnitude of what it was that Jesus was preparing to do. Even Jesus' disciples didn't get it. So let's turn to John's account. So here we're in John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn there, because we're going to read from 16 to 19. But actually, I want us to look starting back in verse uh, 12. So if you look at John chapter 12, let me get myself there. All right. So we see here that in verses 12 to 15 in John chapter 12, John is giving a narrative, a description of what is happening. Then in verse 16, John changes his tone. Right? He shifts from giving an account of, uh, account of recollection of the events to, account, to an account of reflection on what the disciples are thinking. So let's read, let's pick up in verse 16. And it says here, John says, now his disciples did not understand these things at first. So now he's reflecting back on what the disciples were thinking. They did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done signs, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So let's look at verse 16 specifically. He says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. You know, when, Jesus, when he was risen from the dead and he came before them, that's when they understood. So his disciples that were there watching him, his entry, you know, we think not just, you know, we, we think disciples, we think of the 12, but there were a lot of disciples of Jesus. The 12, specifically those that were closest to him, didn't understand these things, and they were there with him coming in as people were showering praise. So if those that were closest to him didn't get it, 
the rest of the individuals certainly didn't get it and understand what Jesus was here to do. If we're familiar with John's gospel, we'll see, we can see in chapters 13 to 17 where Jesus is celebrating his last supper with his disciples, where he's sharing with him what he's about to accomplish, a bit of why he's going to accomplish it. These individuals that were there for that, spend these years in ministry with Jesus, had really had no idea what Jesus was here to accomplish. It wasn't until he was risen from the dead that they finally understood. You know, humanity has everything right in front of it, right? We have all the information. We see the same thing that the disciples see, right? We, we see, we have this perspective. We can see everything. How many billions of people don't get it and refuse to accept it when we share, when the truth is right in front of us? You see, Jesus just wasn't some good guy coming to be a way to God. His miracles weren't parlor tricks to gain popularity or to gain followers on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. Jesus was on a mission, and there was no way to hold him back. You know, this Sunday right now is five days before the crucifixion. It really is a snapshot in the Jesus life. It shows Jesus' love for God's people, and it shows Jesus' commitment to his Father's plan. See, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he didn't come in as a politician to raise support. He wasn't um, trying to gain approval. This wasn't a campaign rally where he was trying to gain votes. His goal was simple, to do his Father's will. Right? And he knew what was coming. He knew in the coming days that he was going to make the sacrifice to redeem humanity. So now, let's turn to Luke's account. So Luke chapter 19, verse 37, begins with, Now as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to his kingdom. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, we have a joke in our house that we don't ask Andrea anything about rocks. Right? See, Andrea earned an A in every class, middle school, high school, college, except geology. She got a B plus. So we don't ask her anything about rocks. We don't ask me anything about rocks. I didn't even take geology, no. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice running joke we have. All right. But when you think about rocks, there's all kinds of rocks. I've been to the Grand Canyon. I've seen the most beautiful rocks God could have ever created. You know, there's moon rocks, rocks that you hide your key in, there's pet rocks. If you take 539 down the shore, there's the giant rock. Once you get down there past the last exit, last exit on the way to the turnpike, the beautiful painted rock. But I've never seen and never heard of rocks crying out. It almost seems impossible, but I think that's Jesus' point. The importance of what was occurring here was that all of creation was groaning for redemption. All of creation was held under the curse of sin. And all of creation, which would praise God, when its creator was at work in such a significant way to redeem, to redeem creation, to bring the goodness back that God had originally created when he created the earth. Now, I have no idea if rocks or trees or sand or water cry out to Christ in some metaphysical way, right? But we know that creation is hungering and groaning for redemption to the Father. We've all, all of humanity has been snagged in sin. Now, as we've been studying the book of Job this spring, 
Uh, this week would have fallen on Job 18, and I had it sort of as the study for this week, but I really didn't want to preach on Job on Palm Sunday. But if we look at Job 18 and Bildad's exhortation to Job, in 5 to 11, Bildad talks about how the unrighteous are snagged in sin. He says, indeed, the light of the wicked is put out and the flame of the fire does not shine. The light is dark in the tent and the lamp above is put out. His strong steps are shortened, and his own schemes throw him down, for he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks on his mesh. The trap seize him by the heel, a snare lays hold of him. A rope hidden for him in the ground traps him in his path. So Jesus' purpose was not to be liked by a majority of people. His purpose to, re to release us from the entrapment of sin. Jesus was to offer the ultimate sacrifice, right, his own life so that everyone, all of creation, could worship God with a newfound freedom, freed from the ensnarement of sin. Whether the people approved or disapproved of Christ, understood what he was doing or didn't understand what he was doing, it didn't matter. Christ was here to serve his Father's will, to give us the opportunity to be redeemed back to him. It was above and beyond all earthly understanding. Today, again, we have the privilege of hindsight. You know, we see what the disciples didn't see. We see the end of the story. We know what Jesus accomplished. We can come alive, just as we sang. We can come alive to his life, which was dedicated to God's ways, ways that are above and beyond our own. You know, they were there when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, and they're still with us today. So this simple act demonstrated a connection to the past by fulfilling prophecy. Right? It demonstrated, and I'm sorry, it pointed to his future as Israel's king. Not as an earthly king as some would manage, but as the true king who would reign forever in God's story of love, forgiveness, grace, and redemption. The Messiah, Israel's king, the Messiah for all humankind was what, was what individuals, which was humanity had been longing for up to that point, and is existing with us today to redeem us back to the Father. If you're here today wondering what this journey of Holy Week means for you, um, don't miss God's invitation. Invitation. He loves each one of us, no matter where we are, and he invites us on the journey. Some of us may not have started. For some of us, the journey might be unexpected. It might be surprising. For those that have a relationship with Christ, right, it may, you may reveal, reveal something new about your relationship with him. But as we look at Jesus' entry, I really just want us to reflect on, on these parts. One, Jesus came courageously, but was humble. Right? He came with royalty, but he came as a servant. And he came with creation, hungering, crying out, and longing for its Savior. Nothing could hold creation back from saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. What was impossible because we were separated by God, by sin and death, is approaching its end in the life of Christ. In five days, he will sacrifice himself. Three more, he'll be raised from the dead. The possible, the, impo the impossible becomes possible when we come alive to the life of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for your son Christ. As we begin to think about his entry into Jerusalem, Father. He was coming to fulfill your plan for humanity. 
Father, to redeem all of creation back to you. Father, creation was separated from you through the sin of Adam, through Satan's control of this world. Father, but we know that you have ultimate authority in all things, and you sent your Son to redeem all of us back to you. Father, I pray for individuals here who may not uh, understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ is about. Father, I pray that these words, that this revelation of what Christ had done can move hearts so your spirit can work in them to bring them back into a relationship with you. So, Father, until we gather together again, Father, we pray that all that we say and we do just be pleasing and honoring to you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.